Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land is a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, song. It's been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. We are privileged to honour this history of storytelling today here at FBI Radio and I'd like to pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging. We're coming to you from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations people. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways that we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan and this week we're chatting with Jeanette Chen, a Chinese-Australian writer based in Libcombe. She's part of the Sweatshop Western Sydney Collective and has been featured in both Sweatshop Women anthologies with her stories Wall of Men and Three Chens. She joins us over the phone right now. Jeanette, hey, how are you going? Hey, Sarah. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, We're so excited to have you join us, even during these strange times right now. It's really important that we can still kind of share these stories and empower our communities the best way we can. And especially now for you guys with Sweatshop Women, the first, the second, sorry, um, series of it coming out um, with Sweatshop and your time with Sweatshop and prior to that as well. How did you, what drew you to writing as an art form? Um, I would say reading a lot as an early at an early age, um, and then even just like really liking stationery and wanting to hoard notebooks and then needing to fill them up with all all my writing um, with my pretty pens and stuff. I've always kind of kept journals and um, written little stories and and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I love that. That's a really, <laughs> that's really quite interesting because you think about it as a kid, like being able to get stationery, like especially if you're not kind of like afforded that kind of resource, it is quite an exciting thing to have. And like, you know, seeing your words going onto the page as well as a kid, it is a little bit, it's a, it's kind of a um, bit of a pleasure, like a guilty pleasure. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And so you said that you, um, when you were in year eight, you discovered um, Zadie Smith's white teeth and that text made you feel like an insider after feeling alienated so long from coming-of-age depictions in Australian mainstream media, which which is a lot of what we read when we're in school as well. Like That's a lot of the text that we're given. So do you remember what it was about white teeth that resonated with you? Um, but it was so similar, even though it was technically so different, you know, Zadie Smith was writing about northwest London, I think, and um, it was so physically distant from me and the world that I knew, but so familiar in the way that um, where these were stories about working class people in a very multicultural part of London um, and and just feeling like I think when like I think when we're younger and we don't understand literature and art as much. What we do understand is the story and who those stories are about. And so, that like I, I think at, 
that point for me, that mattered a lot more mm. than than what is meant to be a beautiful sentence or a beautiful work of literature, um, you know, to be judged in, I guess, in a very um, critical, literary, academic way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of like seeing yourself more on the page or reading your voice more and what you shared more with whatever you're reading on the page, it's kind of, it is far more important than whether or not the story is hitting those like standard story beats. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And your short your story your short story, sorry, um, Wall of Men, it depicts your own coming of age experience. So what were some formative moments for you as a young girl trying to navigate your identity as a migrant Chinese Australian? Um Let's see. Um, I think Wall of Men was a bit more um, from when I was a, a little bit older, when I was kind of discovering, I guess, my sexuality, like what I desired, and also discovering um, the ways that I am desired um, mm. as an Asian woman. And then I think... I think it's actually quite um, funny that it's um, like a later period in life for me, I guess, compared to some other people. Um, I was very much out of high school, already in uni, and then only really realising then like what it is to be attracted to people, yeah. like to actually have that feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and the ways that, that things that you think wouldn't um, wouldn't determine the way like when you think of someone as being sexy you might think of the way that um, their bodies look I, I don't know I just I guess I'd never really thought that um, my race would kind of change the way that I desired and was desired like I had always thought of it um, in such a kind of familial way Mm. because that's where I got my culture from um from my family that I just never really thought that it would inform this aspect of me as as well yeah as I was coming into my sexuality yeah wow that's really um quite powerful because it's something that's not really touched on a lot and that's how um women of color particularly have to navigate this world, this whole other world of sexuality, especially when everything that we kind of consume in sexuality and what we're kind of conditioned into thinking about what is uh, acceptable sexuality is not what we see ourselves in because it's usually um, having to pander to a European ideal of beauty and sexuality. And so um, I th- that's just really quite empowering for myself to hear because it's not something that's it is really it's not really something that's unpacked enough. Don't you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. I actually think um, maybe that's the reason that I kind of find myself drawn to writing stories about desire mm. so much is because I don't have enough of those conversations or see enough of those conversations, and I kind of have to to almost have it with myself in the in the stories that I'm trying to work out yeah it's definitely like a taboo kind of area as well in like of have like thinking that we are we have permission to talk about it and um challenge that status quo on desirability 
Yeah, absolutely. And then also a little bit of like a little bit of taboo around um, the act of desiring as mm. a woman of color. You know, rather than the one being desired, um, to to know what you want, um, and and I guess how what you desire has been shaped by the different stories that we've been told in society. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the things that also sticks out in your writing is your sense of humour. So how do you go about incorporating humour into subject matter that is often loaded or traumatic? Mm, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. Just, things are just funny. Life is just funny. Um, and I, I don't know why um, it kind of always pops up in my writing because I don't feel like I'm a very funny person in person. <laughs> it's but that, yeah. I think I think when we try to look at things with a more objective eye or try to just be an observer and just recount exactly what is happening in front of you, it just it just very easily becomes funny by itself, you know. Yeah. The things that happen are just funny. I think it's like a bit of an easier thing. It's like a coping thing too. Cause I find as well with my own writing, like some of the stuff I'll put on the page, like there will be coming of age stories. And then I'm just like, it's actually easier for me to navigate the beats of this story. If it's guided through humor. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cause otherwise it's just like, oh, I don't want to write another like trauma narrative. And you're like, that's not my story. So it definitely is like, I, I feel like if you are like, putting on the page as well your lived experiences as a um a woman of um color and culture um a lot of your daily experiences would be expressed through humor mm. yeah um your story three chens is so it's included in sweatshop's latest anthology tell us a little bit about three chens um that too was based on a formative experience of mine um i went to a school um where there were maybe about two-thirds Asian students and then one-third, I guess, not all white students, um, but mostly like the rest of the third of the school were um, students from mostly Anglo backgrounds um, and very middle-class backgrounds, um, which was quite um, different from me because the two primary schools that I went to were very much in Western Sydney, very multicultural, and I never really had to um, do very much explaining about um, who I am and where I came from. Um, and also, I guess, I never really had that much experience or exposure to um, all these middle-class white kids. Yeah. And I just hadn't... Um, I just kind of... They were just like a new... And they just had like a new way of being to me um, that I'd n never really experienced. But the story, to get back on track, the story is about um, my school had this kind of promotional photo shoot. And um, even though our school was two-thirds Asian, the photos came out and it made it look like the school was two-thirds white. And it was funny because at the time I was quite young, um, maybe about 13, 14, and I... I didn't really think about it that much. I didn't have any words or 
any ideas even to explain the kind of discomfort that I, that I felt around it on seeing those photos. I never really talked to any friends about it. And um, I don't even think it was that strong a memory or not, not that it wasn't a strong memory for me. It, it definitely was. Um, but I never thought of it as like a pain point for me um, as a teenager, but somehow, uh, you know, 10 years later, I'm still here thinking about it and um, writing about it. And it's, you know, it, definitely had an impact on me. Yeah. Um, and I and I wanted to express not only the incident, but also that kind of confusion um, about not understanding and not having the words for um, for something like that. Yeah. Because well, it's like it's, it's erasure, essentially. Like you guys were kind of erased and it, that's the hard thing to grasp as a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're going to have to um, move on to our final question. I know we've got a little load of questions for you, but um, this one we just we really like to um, ask this question because it is really powerful for our younger audiences to hear as well. And um, that is, Jeanette Chen, when did you realise there was a power in your race? Um, wow, this is going to sound kind of corny, but um, I think when I really started writing and I really started writing in a way um, that was informed by the things that I'd learned from sweatshop. So um, writing in a way that is culturally specific, writing for, um, you know, knowing who I'm writing for and, and knowing that I don't have to write for a, a white audience. I don't have to explain things that I don't want to explain um, I can tell the story the way that I would tell my friends and that it's perfectly valid literature that I'm writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, well, that's really, that's, that's proper deadly. That's, um, thank you for sharing that. Cause it's, um, yeah, I think it's really important. I think we don't really realize how much we can, um, find empowerment in our own racial identities just by putting pen to paper sometimes and yeah I really like what you said as well about the fact that you know I could choose how much I want to share and don't want to share it's my story that's mm. that's my power oh well thank you so much for um sharing um your story with us and um sharing space with us especially during these you know uncertain times you can read Jeanette Jeanette's short story three chans in sweatshop women volume two out now thank you so much for joining us Jeanette thank you so much for having me Welcome back to Race Matters. It's me and Tanya Ali. She is the mastermind behind Race Matters. <laughs> and we very rarely get to do this, but I really I'm loving it. Me too. I'm excited to do it more. I feel like it's a nice thing, especially in isolation where like, you know, connection is uh rare a yeah. little bit um it's nice to chat with you on air yeah. uh, how have you been sarah i've been um I'm, I'm taking it day by day but i'm just kind of noticing how i started isolation and where i am now and the um the the spaces my mind has 
going to. And it's not a bad thing, but things that I've been doing, like last week, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos, um, but I've been kind of like the first couple of weeks of isolation, my YouTube videos was on just garbage. Like I just was, I was just watching mindless stuff. And then um, like I went down like a rabbit hole of um, watching all of the D- Disney film clips from like 2008, like the high school musical. Um, <laughs> yes. Never, never the wrong thing to do, honestly. Oh, I'm not even ashamed. I'm not even ashamed. Um, but I've been um, watching YouTube videos around um, how to write films, like how to incorporate um, comedy around the type of films that I, the type of film that I'm writing at the moment. And I've just actually been having really rejuvenating yarns with other Aboriginal women. And we've all been reaching out to one another um and sharing lots of healing with each other. And I ended up reaching out to a titter of mine from like way back um, at uni. Um, we connected up, we linked up and she's someone that like I've like, well, she'll be kind of timeless for me. And I just reached out to her. I was like, how's this? Hey sis, how you going? Want to yarn up? And she was like, yeah, yeah, let's catch up. And we haven't actually cashed up properly in a while. And we ended up being on the phone for the longest time. And it was just so like, we spent about two hours like, running down everyone that's annoying us. Um, (laughs) But also kind of talking about the harsh or the confronting things we've realised about ourselves in isolation and then just also telling each other how deadly each other is for two hours as well. And it was just like, we both like got fun. We were like, I feel like mad weight's been lifted off my shoulders. That is so beautiful. Yeah. And so I just, I've been having a lot more of these types of conversations with just a couple of women in my life um, that really reflect me, but I feel very safe with as well. And it's actually been doing a lot of really great, great work. I think even if you've got one person that you can kind of have that space with once a week. Mm. um, Yeah, really, um, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, it's (laughs) super important and like rejuvenating. And I feel like this is a great time to connect with people that are in your life that you might not normally have the time to talk to. Yeah, yeah. What about you? How's how's your isolation been in the last week? I think it's been okay. I think like we've talked about it a lot on the show, but there are definitely ups and downs. And I feel like I'm like not in a down, but I'm just in like a medium space which is like a plateau yeah it feels like a plateau which is fine like I think that's better than being like really down on it I guess I am quite anxious about like I there's a lot of talk about how things are opening up again and I'm like I can't think of anything worse than things opening up and then being forced back into lockdown I don't think I could take it so I really hope that we're not that silly yeah um but I did get to I mean, and I don't know if this is irresponsible. I don't think it is. Um, when the beaches opened back up, yeah. um, I went for a couple of swims last week at Clavelli and it was life-giving. Like, I felt like a new human. Um, so, sadly, they are closed again. But <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. All of you ones there trying to get some melanin on your skin and sitting on the beach for too long, you know who you are. Yeah, thanks It's never going to happen. <laughs> just don't accept, just don't do it. Don't sit on the beach for that long. Look, you ruined it for everyone else. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's amazing though, like how these little things that we wouldn't really recognize that much are really doing a, a like a world of good for us right now. Mm. And that's what something I'm really trying to take on board at the moment is small wins, because I think that's um, definitely 
helping me along and also just really trying to think of things on a macro level as well like it's really easy to spiral in isolation but then I also have to remind myself that it's a privilege to isolate mm. and um I'm I am in a very privileged position right now not to say that no one's experiences in isolation however tough they may be aren't valid everyone's experiences are very very valid and very relevant but just for myself it kind of helps me just to kind of take a bit of a you know a moment and just be like okay like this is just you and your Phil, Sarah. You're actually, you're safe. You're fine. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're both cancers. I feel I like know. we feel the feelings. <laughs> we feel Not feel. sorry about it. <laughs> Me either. I am who I am. Never going to change. <laughs> I said what I said. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, that's all for Race Matters this week. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts or at fbiradio.com forward slash Race Matters. Thanks for joining us again this week. Race matters. 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 Race matters.